Morning, church. Praise is heard around the world. Amen. Well, let's pray to God and let's get into our message for today. It's good to see Lawrence and Rena May. Lawrence, many, uh, I don't know if many of you know this, Lawrence was the first person to reach out to me. In the South Bronx on West, you know, 3rd Avenue at a hardware store called Snookers. Snookers. I went in to buy a lock, and there was this, uh, we'll just say, very zealous grown man standing at the counter, talking it up with the, uh, with the owner, and I walked in, minding my own business, not looking to get into a conversation, and he just gave me, you know, he kind of looked at me and said, hey, young man, you go to church? And I'm like, uh, yeah. I go sometimes with my mother. Say, I want to invite you out to church, man. Now, here's the thing. We're in the South Bronx. In the South Bronx, I'm a young black man, and this grown man is inviting me to McDonald's in Washington Square Park for a church service. And then he asked for my phone number. I'm like, what? <laughs> but my mama told me to be polite, respect my, my elders. So I, I took his phone number, gave him, I don't know what made me give him my phone number. I gave him my phone number to be polite. I took his. I never called him. That phone number showed up everywhere in my bedroom until I finally decided, let me just throw this thing away. I'm not calling this guy. Because I was turned off. A few weeks later, I was met on the campus of BMCC, not knowing that these guys were part of the same church that I was being invited to. In October, I was baptized. Later that fall, Lawrence calls me back to invite me to a Madison Square Garden service. I don't know if you guys remember, that's when I think Sam Powell was appointed an elder at that service. And Lawrence invited me to that service. And I, listened, I just listened to him on the phone, and I said, hey, I just wanted to let you know I'm your brother in Christ. I got baptized October 15th. He lost his mind. He started screaming. He handed Rena May the phone. You could hear him yelling and screaming in the background. And Rena May's like, how you doing? He told me about you. He, met, he, he never stopped praying for you from the time he met me. Let's go to God with the word of prayer. I'm about to get emotional. Our Heavenly Father God, we are just so, so grateful, so grateful that, Lord, that there are moments in our lives where we can just be so, so ignorant to our own salvation. God, we can be so distracted by what's going on around us, so caught up in our own little world, that we don't realize that there's a spiritual battle going on around us, and we are potential casualties of that spiritual war. Father, I thank you for sending Lawrence to plant that seed in my heart. I thank you, God, for not only planting the seed, but encouraging him to follow up with me. You gave me another chance, just in case I'd said no the second time. On the campus of BMCC, Father, you followed up, and I'm just so grateful. And Lord, I just pray that that same trust that same peace that I have now and that we have God in our relationship with you I pray that it will we can carry that on 
with our walk, God. We can trust you with everything. Father, as we get into your word today, I pray that our hearts will be reminded of how much you love us and how passionately you pursue us. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Lawrence Pintard, thank you. We started a series a few weeks ago called Mind Control, and if you're visiting us for the first time, we're not going to hand out cups of Kool-Aid and ask you to take it so we can control your mind. We're talking about learning to control our own mind through the help of God's powerful word. Uh, Mark 12, verse 30 has been our theme scripture all year. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to learn to love the Lord with all of our mind. We know that that's a Herculean task uh, because some of us, including myself, we have over, uh, over, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We have, we have incredible imaginations and we can run with those imaginations. We can convince ourselves that some things are true that's not actually true. We can even, we can call things uh, that, that, that aren't, that aren't really fact. We can make it seem as if it's true and it's factual, God. We, we, can, we can do things and say things to ourselves and convince ourselves of so many things if we really put our minds to it. And God really wants us to love him with our thoughts because our thoughts eventually condition our hearts. And then our hearts usually motivate our actions. And so starting with our minds, learning to love the Lord with our mind is a very important thing. Uh, Last week we talked about thinking the truth about others, thinking the truth about our relationships and the people that God has put in our lives. Today I want to look at thinking the truth, thinking the truth about the future. Thinking the truth about the future. Let me ask you a question. You can call out what you think the answer is. What do you think? is the most highlighted verse in the Bible. John 3.16. All right. Anyone else? Psalm 23. Philippians 4.13. What did you say? Oh, Jeremiah 29.11. Okay. 1 Corinthians 13. Okay. Hebrews 11. Anybody else? Revelation 21. All right, you're going, you're going fire and brimstone right there. Anybody else? Let's get one more, one more. The most highlighted verses in the Bible. Matthew, Matthew 5, the whole, whole chapter? The whole chapter, right? The whole Sermon on the Mount. You said underline all of it. <laughs> You'd be surprised. You know, it's funny. Interestingly enough, Amazon... According to data released by Amazon, hold on a second here, where where are we? Uh, I think, guys, you have the wrong set of slides here. All right, well, we're not going to, we won't deal with the slides right yet. Uh, We have a technical difficulty. Um, According to data released by Amazon, Philippians 4, chapter 6, Verse 7 is the most commonly highlighted scripture. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 is the most commonly highlighted scripture. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, 
Every situation by prayer petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Why do you think that is? Say it again. The world is anxious. The world is anxious. You know, Amazon released their findings as a part of a report on their customers' preferences for the most liked books and the most liked passages of those books. Some of those books were Harry Potter books, and they had quotes. But it's, I thought it was interesting that the Bible was one of those books, and that was the most highlighted verse in the Bible. Over 40 million U.S. adults, ages 18 and older, suffer from some form of anxiety disorder. Making anxiety the most common illness, mental illness in the United States, according to Anxiety and Depression Association of America. In another article titled, How America Became the World's Most Anxious Country, sociologists who measure anxiety levels of entire nations have concluded that the U.S. is by far the most anxious nation on earth. Thank you, guys. About one in three Americans can be expected to suffer anxiety at some point in their lifetime compared with one in four Colombians who occupy the second world anxiety slot. Curiously, nations where people face more basic struggles in life, like securing clean water to drink, are markedly less anxious than Americans. According to the 2002 World Mental Health Survey, people living in developing countries such as Nigeria, Lebanon, the Ukraine, are up to five times less likely to show clinically significant anxiety levels than Americans. There are people in the world who are anxious about finding clear water to drink, and we Americans are more anxious than they are. You know, topping the list of reasons for America's worries are, oh, there's my little slide right there, major recession. Most people are afraid of a major recession. It causes anxiety in millions of Americans. Another survey by the Office of National Statistics suggests that the multiplying responsibilities of middle-aged people between the ages of 40 and 59 could be taking a toll on people, with many of those people facing the twin pressures of looking after young children and their aging parents at the same time. We have some members doing that right now. According to the American Psycho uh, Psychological Association, millennials experience more stress and are less able to manage it than any other previous generation before them. You know, it's funny because in that article, they credit social media as a huge part of the anxiety our millennials face today, specifically highlighting comparing themselves to others. When you go on Facebook, your girlfriend posts a picture of her Flashing that ring, that diamond, I just got engaged. 
And you want to be happy. You want to hit that like button, but your finger's hovering over that other button. Unlike, unfriend. You want to hit that so bad because you're trying to be happy, but you're thinking about your own singlehood. Me, I confessed this, what, several months ago. There are a few of my friends who are on Facebook posted all sorts of successful things that they were doing, and I found myself battling envy and jealousy. And I thought, this is not good. I have a great life. I'm blessed. What am I jealous for? What am I envious about? I have an awesome spiritual wife who loves me. Despite all my mess and all my nonsense and my ups and my downs, I have two children who adore me, who thinks I'm the best thing since, since sliced pizza. What am I envious about? But yet, it's there. It's there. Stress, fear, anxiety, and worry plague every generation. And Jesus' followers were no exception. You know, in fact, several times in Scripture, Jesus had to help his followers navigate through the valleys of fear. In John chapter 10, verse 10, the English Standard Version says, The thief comes only to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus never said that about himself. No one's ever accused Jesus of coming to steal, kill, and destroy. So why don't we trust Jesus? He said that the enemy, and it was proof all around him, what Satan was doing to lives of those people who trusted in their own ability rather than in God. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, before we get all excited thinking that we can go out and play the next lottery ticket and God is going to bless us with the numbers, it's not what he's talking about. He's not talking entirely about material possessions here, although some would have you believe that. No, Jesus is talking about your whole life, that when you look at your life in perspective of those without God, you're living an abundant life. Now that word abundant, the Greek word is perisos. It means you have special advantage. That your life is exceptional. That you can, there's more to be expected in your life. That your life is beyond the norm. Beyond measure. That you have a complete life. Because you have God in it. Remember what it was like without God? I remember where I was at when, when Lawrence invited me. My life was empty. He didn't know that I was praying every day for God to lead me to someone who would help me get to heaven. I was just too prideful to see that he sent him. He didn't know that. He didn't know the thoughts, the self-destructive thoughts I was having. God knew. That's why God had me go there at that time. At that day, at that place, of all the days of the week and times of the week I could have went, God had me go at that exact time to meet my future brother in Christ. And now my life is complete. 
I can die and never have played for the New York Knicks. I can die knowing that I never owned a home. I can, I, I can go meet Jesus knowing that I have not achieved all the dreams that I had set out as a young man to achieve. Why? Because my life is, my life is complete. I got Jesus. That's what I was really trying to pursue anyway. I didn't know that I was, I thought all these other things would fill my life up until I met Jesus and then my life was complete. You know, when your life, when there's parisos in your life, you have no need because you know God is going to provide for that need. You know, I love how we can trust God and it can give us a, a peace that we can't even explain to people. We should, be dry, we, we should be going crazy, banging our head up against the wall trying to figure out, but we have such a peace in us that comes from God. And, you know, I, I can't even explain why I'm not worried about this right now, but I'm not worried about it. Because God has already proved to me he's going to take care of us. You know, even in the midst of all of our trials, if you really go back and think about it, you can see God in those. You can see God in the most extreme trials that you've gone through as a Christian. You can still see God working. Man, God made that happen. There's no way I could have orchestrated that where my, my head was at. But God made it happen. You see, God knows what we're going to go through before we go through it which is why he wants us to trust him. God wants us to try. As disciples, we have a special advantage over the rest of the... Hebrews tells us that we're not separated from God, that we have the confidence to go before God in prayer. When we were lost in our sins, there was a great chasm that separated us from God. But because of the blood of Christ, we have the special advantage that God will hear our prayers. That God will answer our prayers and the promise to be with us whenever we go through these trials. Our life is exceptional and beyond normal. My life is not the way it used to be. I, you know, when I look at my life, my life is so full now. I'm thinking, man, there were days where I could just literally just sit in front of the TV and not do anything. My life consisted of going to work, coming home, playing basketball, hanging out with friends, and doing the same thing over and over again. Now, I don't know what's going to happen. I can get a call at 10 o'clock at night. Bro, we need to get together. I need some help. All right. Half one eye open. I'm on my way. I mean, there's so many different things that keeps your life exciting. Helping people. There's nothing more rewarding than helping people you love. Than, than, than sitting down with someone, praying together with them, empathizing with them, going through that struggle. Now you have, a, you have something that you've gone through together that further bonds you. There's nothing more rewarding than that. I don't care what kind of bonuses we get. You can't, there's no bonus that, that, that equates having, helping a friend in need. You know, our lives are complete. And there is no need that God cannot meet in our lives. You know, this is what God wants us to believe. He wants us to believe the truth. But there is a crippling fear that comes over us for a variety of reasons. And it's amidst these fears, amid these fears that we decide whether we're going to believe the truth in God's word about the future or we're going to believe the lies that Satan whispers in our ear. There are several fears that could cause us anxiety about the future. A few of them are this. Disasters. 
You know, I think if we're honest, some of us are anxious about a disaster. You know, floods. Right now we, we see all this, uh, this, this, this footage of what's going on with, with, with people in Texas. People losing their homes. Floodwaters just washing everything away. People having to gut their homes to, to get out the drywall before it turns to rot and mold and, and, and people losing pets and all sorts of things. People's lives have been turned upside down. And we watch things like that and we can become anxious. We can become anxious. You know, what if, what if my house apartment catches fire? I could lose everything. And we get anxious. We, we worry. We become fearful. You know, Hurricane Harvey has dumped more rain on the state in Texas in a few days than they got all year. That's a lot of water. And people become anxious. Our finances, the possibility of losing your job or not having enough money causes worry and fear in a lot of us. If you own your home or your apartment, losing it can cause anxiety. Or fear. And this breeds more fear. That fear gives birth to little fears. And then you're thinking, if I lose my home, where am I going to stay? I have no family here. Where am I going to live? What am I going to do? And so we, we, our thoughts every day are consumed about these things. And then it, eventually, it impacts our giving. Not our initial giving, but our consistent giving. We start to get afraid, well, if I, don't, if I don't hold on to this money, I may need it down the road, and, and so I can't give to God what God has asked me to give. God understands. No, God doesn't. God understands that things can happen, but God doesn't understand how you can fear when you have him in your life. God doesn't understand that. He's thinking, I'm God. I'm the immortal God. I was here before I'm here now, and I will be here after. Why do you still fear? That makes no sense to God. But fear can cripple our faith. It challenges our consistent giving. We're afraid that what may happen, what happens in some other churches may happen in our church. I can't control what happens. I can't make promises that I can't keep. All I can say is we got to trust God. We got to trust God. You know, when I go to the store and, and I purchase something, I'm not thinking about where that money is going. I'm just not, honestly. And I could be funding all sorts of crooked, crooked organizations and things. When you order stuff on the Internet, you just hit your, you put your account stuff in. And I'm not, look, I'm not saying we need not to be concerned. But when it keeps us from doing and obeying scripture, that's when it becomes a problem. That's when it becomes a problem. We got to trust that God will take care of his church. God is in absolute control. You know, I have never seen a crooked person last long in God's church. 
That just happened. I don't worry about certain things because I'm like, you know what? If I don't know what's going on, God knows. And that's good enough for me because I need to go to sleep tonight. All right? God never sleeps. He's always awake. Let him worry about that. I need to go to sleep. I'm not going to stay up and worry about that. I'll let God deal with that. But see, fear, it takes the joy out of giving. When we're afraid, when we need to know all the details, when we need to make sure that this person is just in it, it's like it takes our fear away of giving. It takes the purpose out of our giving. It takes the conviction out of our giving. Building God's church. I give because I'm giving to God. That's my conviction. And I'm going to give each week because God gives to me every single day. God never withholds from me, and I'm not going to withhold from God. I'm going to keep my vow to God. But fear can get in there and keep us from giving. Parenting. I forgot the G right there. Don't, 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 don't get on me. It was late. It was late. That's how we say, that's how we say it in Harlem. Parenting. All parents experience fear for our children. We just do. You know, I have never been as afraid as a man until I had kids. And I don't know what it is. I mean, when my wife and I, I have my own set of fears about my wife. I'm like, look, I need you to be home at a certain time. This is Harlem. I'm sorry. And back then, you know, you guys know, back then it was different. Now, I'm like, yeah, go do what you got to do because it's a little safer now. But back then, you were aware? I, you know, I, I, need to, I, I just need you, I need you home at a certain time. You know, cause I'm like, and, and, and even then our fears can keep, keep us from, from doing the Lord's will. Like God is with my wife. He's going to walk with her. But still, don't come in like 12 o'clock though. I mean, just don't push it. You know, let's not push it. You know what I'm saying? But as parents... There is a fear that can grip us and cripple our faith. It can really steal our joy. So much so that we, it can keep us from enjoying our kids now. First, we worry during pregnancy about a baby's development and safe delivery. After the birth, a baby brings money worries and the loss of more carefree living. As the baby grows, Fear increases parents worry about accidents, abuse, crime, school environments, pollution, war, and the future of the world. And the top of our list is wondering whether our children will come to love Christ and follow him so that they will enjoy eternal life. Then, when our children are adults, we stop worrying. No, we don't. We worry about their choices of marriage partners. We worry about their finances. We worry about the possibility of divorce. And then moving back into the house. And when the grandchildren come, then we can stop worrying. No. Sure enough, the cycle of fear begins all over again. You wonder if they're going to be as good parents as you were to them. If they're going to raise their kids the, good, the way you raised them. The raised, I mean, it's over and over. This cycle of fear can grip us as parents. Singleness. Many singles fear a lifetime of being alone. To some, 
Celebrating a birthday means celebrating another year of being single. Not another year on this earth, but another year alone. Now, here's another fact. Even those of us who are married often fear singleness of divorce or losing a spouse. You know, we, we, we get married and we wonder, man, what if he dies? What, what if she gets in an accident on the way home? And, and that we can fear. Aging, illness, and suffering. Many people fear, fear illness and suffering. Especially if you live alone. You know, fear of having to take care of a loved one, maybe a parent, a child, or a spouse, after they've become terminally ill, can test our faith, can generate fear. Death and dying. When will I die? How will I die? Will I suffer before I die? All these thoughts can plague us. Fearing what will happen to our family in the future. Do I have enough insurance to cover everything? Is my will up to date? Who's going to take care of my kids when I die? These thoughts can consume us and rob us of the abundant life that Jesus came to give. Steal kill, and destroy. You know, Paul's perspective on death was pretty interesting. In Philippians 1, verse 20, 21, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul, it was a win-win situation. If I live, amen, I get to serve the Lord. But if I die, I get to be with Jesus. It was a win-win situation. Philippians 1 verse 23, I am torn between the two. I desire to, be, to depart and be with Christ, which is by far better. But he also wanted to stay because of his relationships with the church. You know, the believer, as believers... We're encouraged to view death more as a graduation than as the end of life. It's the end of our life here, which is why Jesus encourages us not to be tied to the things of this world. Because we can't take anything with us. You can't take your new iPhone. You can't take your TV. You can't take anything with you except your soul. That's the thing that's eternal. That's the thing we need to invest in. That's where God wants us to focus. But what can we do to overcome our fears? How can we keep fear from robbing us of living today? What can we do to control this damaging emotion? And how can we stop thinking thoughts that hurt us and hinder us from being joyful and, strength and, and, and strengthened? You know, again... In the midst of all these anxiety and fear, Scripture come to our rescue. When we think about our future, we have to do it within the truth of the powerful Scriptures of God. The question, can, these questions, what if, can generate all sorts of fears. What if I, get, I never get married? What if I lose my spouse? 
What if I get cancer? What if I lose my job? What if my kids don't want to know God? What if my health fails? All these what ifs generate fear and anxiety in our lives. And we have to deal with these what if questions with scripture, with the promises of God. Whatever your what if is, we must remember that what if is just a guess. It's just a guess. Because we can't control what happens tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen a half hour away from now. Philippians 4.8 tells us to focus on whatever is true. Whatever is true is right now you're sitting in this auditorium hearing the word of God. That's true. Tomorrow is just a guess. You don't even know what you're going to wear tomorrow. Even though you may have your outfit already ironed and and, and pressed, you may get home and decide, I'm not going to wear that tomorrow. All the worry and all the fear and all these things, we're preparing for what may not actually happen. Jesus tells us to not get caught up in what has not been promised. What is true is what God said he will do. That is what's true. Matthew 28 Verse 20, and surely I am with you always. That's a promise. That is true. Through every every trial you've gone through, God was with you. And God will be with you through tomorrow's trials and crisis and circumstances. Through today's trials, God will remain with you. Yes, we need to be prepared for disasters. Yes, we need to be wise about our finances, our parenting, our health, and our relationships. But we don't need to waste energy worrying about what has not happened yet. What does God have to say about our little list of fears? Well, let's look. I'm glad you asked me. Disasters. Isaiah 43, verse 2. I love this passage. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, they will not, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. God promises that he will not overwhelm us. He will not let these situations, these, these circumstances overwhelm us. Yes, we may, be experience, we may experience loss in this world, but God says, I will not let it consume you. If you focus and hold on my promises, God wants us to trust him that even in the midst of a flood, it's not going to overwhelm us. That is not the fires that the fires of, of temptation will not consume us. Our finances. Psalm 37, verse 25. I was young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be blessed. Because the Lord generously provides for us, we should be generous as well. God said, I will never let the righteous forsake. I will never let them be begging for bread. You know, one of the blessings of the church is that we're here for each other. Now, we need to carry our own burdens, yes. But for the most part, we're not going to let anyone go hungry. We're not going to let you go, go clothes, uh, without clothes. It may not be Gucci or, or Prada or whatever you might be used to. 
But let me tell you something. We all got something in our closet we can let go of. In all my years, in all my 20 years as a disciple, almost 20 years in the ministry, I have yet to meet a disciple that came to me and said, James, I am hungry. I need food. I'm begging you. Because God provides for us. He takes care of us. You know, the money we give each week is an investment in the things that matters to God. Eternal things. The things that will eventually lead to the salvation. You know, I thank God for the New York church. Because if it wasn't for the sacrifice of the disciples in 1996 and before that, Lawrence Pintard would not have met me in that store. They would not have been a, a disciple, the church of true believers on the campus of BMCC because no one would have funded the, 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 the missionary work of the church here. We're all the benefits, we're all the fruit of people's sacrifice, financial sacrifice. We have brothers and sisters right now around the world because of your sacrifice. So God takes your money and he uses it in ways that you and I would never have thought to use it. Because we can be so focused and caught up in our own world. God is like, no, this is going to be an eternal investment right here. In parenting, Ephesians 6 verse 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. You know why fathers exasperate their children? Because they're afraid of them turning out bad. So we, we get on them about everything. Don't do this. Don't do that. Where you going? Every now and again, my daughter has to, has to remind us, you know, I'm all right. I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, I, you don't have to walk me everywhere. But as a dad, I'm like, no, I got to be with you everywhere. My daughter's going to high school, y'all. You already know. We were up in that, 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 that orientation, and I'm asking questions. So how can, is parents involved? Can parents be involved in that? Say priest, this ain't junior high school or priest. This is high school. Y'all know what went down in high school. I'm like, no, daddy is going to be up in there. All right? Teaching something. I look. Hey, it's my baby girl, man. I'm sorry. But here's the thing. That next sentence. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the law. We have to trust what we taught them. We have to trust in God's word. That we did the right thing. You know, at some point, you're going to have to let go. You're going to have to let them go by themselves. And it's not so much as you trust in them as it is you're trusting the training. Now, if we have been doing our due diligence, that should bring us some comfort. But if we've been slacking on opening the word with our kids, 
talking to them about godly things, then I can understand why some of us be worried. You know, you can't control what your kids do outside when they leave the house. You can't even control what they do in the house. Let's just be honest. All right? I heard the kids saying, that's true. (laughs) And nor should you want to. They're individuals. God made them unique. He gave them a personality. He gave them a temperament. God has created your child. Remember what that scripture says. He, He knitted them together. He formed them in the womb. All my wife did was carry it around. She had no control of how my my kids would be formed. That was all God. That was all God. But we cannot smother our kids out of fear. It will backfire, and it will cause you more anxiety than you had before. We got to trust in the training that God has given us Because once they put it into practice, they'll develop their own convictions. And look, just like you and I had to make choices, they'll make choices. And we just need to pray that they make the choices based in the upbringing and the training that we prepared for them. Being overly concerned about the potential problems with our kids, it leads to overprotection and being overbearing parents. And that just pushes our kids further away from us. We can only focus on one day at a time. I got two kids, and I don't want my time with them to be be ripe with, with anxiety. I want to enjoy them, and I want them to enjoy me. I want their memories of daddy to be fun. I want that I want them to remember the life lessons. I don't want them to remember the fear and the, you know, daddy walking them to class, to every class in high school. I I don't want them to. I don't want to, although that's what I want to do. Take her by the hand and walk into each class. But that will ruin her social life and cause her more problem and anxiety than, than, than being a freshman in high school will already bring. So I'm not going to do that to you. I won't do that to you. Singleness. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32, I would like you to be free from concern. Any, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. At least that's what he should be concerned about. While you're in this stage of life, and guys, look, I understand that as a married man, I can't relate to some of the feelings of loneliness now. But I was single too. And I can honestly say that the highlights of my singlehood was when I was busy for Jesus. I had the most energy, I had the most flexibility, I had the most, I was more creative, I was more available, I served more, I mean, I served at weddings, I served at, you name it, I was there, and I I enjoyed that, and to some degree, if I'm honest, I miss it, because it gave me an opportunity to know more people, I knew more people as a single man than as a married man. And it's because I was more available. Instead of being bitter about the stage of your life, thank God that you're available to be used in this stage of life. You don't have to have 
anxiety and fear of what if I don't. God wants you to enjoy the stage of life. He wants you to enjoy it. And who knows, someone may be right around the corner. But you don't want to bring that into your marriage. Because it doesn't go away just because you get married. If you're fearful about your life as a single person, you're going to be fearful about your life when you get married. You don't check it at the altar. It goes with you. And God does not. God wants you to have an abundant life. Two people, two single people with an abundant life, an appreciative, a life appreciating what God has done, that is a magical couple right there. That's a powerful couple. Because you'll continue to serve even when you're married. Some people look at marriage as retirement. I got married. No more serving. Don't ask me. I got to go home and beat my husband. I got a wife to go home to. Since when did that stop us from serving? Some people look at marriage as retirement. Let's move on. Aging. Illness and suffering. I'm bringing this to a close, I promise. Isaiah 46, verse 4, even to your old age. Look at this, y'all. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. When you can't walk, I will sustain you and I will rescue you. God promises to take care of us in our prime time years. You know, our, our... Harvesters have been renamed primetime. Primetime years. The Lord promises when you start getting gray and those knees start creaking and you, you start, you, you know, you, we become more mature. God promises because sometimes Asian people get worried about that. People worry about aging and illness and, 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 and God's like, I'll, I'll take care of you. I will take care of you. We don't need to fear old age because God will take care of us. Illness and suffering, God will comfort us and strengthen us when we do experience these physical trials. You know, God doesn't promise that we will never experience disease or, 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 or any of these things. In fact, they says that our body is wasting away on the outside. So we can't let this consume us. You start to feel a new pain in a different part of your body. Don't let, that, don't let that consume you. Enjoy your life now. Enjoy your life. Live your life to the best of your ability without fear. Death and dying is another thing that overwhelms God. You know, death is the ultimate reality for everyone. But it's also the ultimate victory for every Christian. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Fearing death can keep us from living a full and productive life today. You know, I think some of us need to take more risk. I'll never forget when I started fishing, I always had a fear of being in open water. And my first fishing trip on a boat, I said, this is, this is all a check off my bucket list. This is every time I go out, I'm conquering a fear. I'm, like, I'm not going to let fear keep me from enjoying life. I'm not going to fear, you know, that we got to be wise. I mean, don't drive 80 miles an hour down to 45. Don't do st something crazy like that. But don't let fear keep you from living. Embrace the truth. 
about your life right now. And then lastly, you know, when we look at our lives, when we look at life, it's almost like sitting at a piano and you spread out a music sheet. And in a sense, we're like a person outside of time. It's possible for us to look or play any portion of that song whenever we wish. You can go to the first measure. You can skip on down to the 10th measure. We can also back up or skip forward whenever we wish. We can see the past, the present, and the future all at once just by looking at a sheet of sheet music. You look at the beginning of the song, the middle of the song, and the end of the song. But you see, God knows our beginning, our ending, and everything in between. Like a great conductor of music, he sees our lives laid out like a musical score. So nothing surprises God. He sees the crescendos. He sees the transitions. God sees everything in our lives all at once, just like a conductor does. We, on the other hand, experience life as an audience gathered to hear the concert one note at a time. And rather than worry about which note is next, we're called to trust the conductor who's directing the orchestra. In Revelation 22, verse 13, the Bible says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You know, one of my last conversations with my good friend Nietzsche was along these lines. I went to him for some advice, and even in the midst of his own pain and suffering, he encouraged me to have faith to not worry about what was going on right now, but to trust God with the unknown future. He lived by faith. And I hope to one day finish my race with faith where his was at. He was an incredible hero. He was an incredible man of God. But you know what? When I look around this room, I see other men and women of incredible faith incredible men and women of God. And I pray that we too one day, when we finish our race, we can finish in knowing that we have trusted God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father God, we want to thank you and ask God that you will help to remove all our fears and anxieties Lord, as your word says in Psalm 55, 22, cast your cares on him. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fail. I pray that you help us to cast our cares and our anxieties on you because you do care for us. And God, I pray that as Jesus, uh, his example of him dying on the cross, that right there is proof that you love us and that you have a plan for us and that you care deeply about us so much so that you are willing to give up everything on our behalf. I pray that as we take this communion, we'll be reminded of that love. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, God.